Hey, it's David Cicerelli, the CEO and co-founder of Voices. Well, today on the show, we welcome John Corbin, owner of Corbin Visual. John and I are going to be talking about the creative process, how clients can best prepare for a video shoot and other visual campaigns to create content that feels real. Plus, along the way, I'm sure he's got lots of advice for new producers about how to interact with talent, maintain those client relationships too. As a producer, you know you're at the center of it all. But first, let me introduce John. John is a video producer and production guru who brings over 12 years of industry storytelling experience to every project that he works on. His innovative use of technology and visual storytelling has been featured in the New York Times, Mashable, TechCrunch, and he's produced content for some of the biggest players in Canadian media as well, including BuzzFeed and Huffington Post. He's consistently on the cutting edge of production technology and can be described as a digital chameleon, adapting seamlessly to new advertising trends and creating content, as I mentioned earlier, sounds and feels real, and then most importantly also gets notice. From small business owners to Fortune 500 CEOs, John's a trusted partner because he's a problem solver who asks the right question at the right time and sees, what po sees what's possible in what you're trying to create, turning what otherwise might be an arduous production process into something that's truly enjoyable. So I'd love to get into that. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. That's like, I just got to bring you everywhere I go. And every time I walk into a room, if you could just say that, then that'd be amazing. I can, I can get a... I can get that that type of awesome welcome every time I everywhere I'll, I go. I'll be your hype man. I'll be yeah, your hype right. man. That's great. All right. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for that warm warm intro and and super glad to be here. No, I, I think listen, it's going to be a great conversation. Um, and you know, you know, we no day in the life is going to be probably the same, especially you know the variety of clients that you work with. Um, maybe deadline shifting, but if there was such a thing, what, what's a typical day in the life? I, I love just kind of opening up with this. Um, whether it was today or someday last week, um, is there one that's kind of representative of, of hey, this is this is how, what it feels like to be a, a, a content and a producer? Yeah. Um, I think if there's anything that's the same about every day, it's just the hottest fires first, right? It's like, opening up your day for me, like I'm a, I'm a 7am, 6, 7am guy. And so I like to, I like to clear my inbox before the day even starts. Cause I think if there's one thing people appreciate it's timely communication. And so if I can make sure that I'm not, I'm ahead of my day, I think it starts really early in the morning, uh, making sure that everybody gets the information they need for the day. Um, then we'll, um, as long as it's not like crazy, we'll do just kind of like a team huddle to talk about what's most important get those things out, um, get those things moving and cooking as fast as possible. And then you just, if there's no meetings on the docket, which, you know, come see, come saw on any given mm -hmm. day, um, just start to work through other issues, be they marketing issues, project management issues, um, sales issues. I shouldn't say issues. Issues sounds like a negative word, you know, but just um, action items, if you yeah. will. And I think Ultimately, it's always revolves around what the most urgent thing to do is so mm -hmm. that our clients and colleagues and crews feel supported and, you know, know that we're there for them and and not never too busy. You know, it, it makes sense to start with email um, first thing in the morning because you don't know what happened the night before where maybe it's a location change. Maybe it's, again, deadline got pulled up or pushed back and you're like, hey, let's reassess um, what the priorities are for the day. There's a, there's a notion of urgent versus important um, that yeah. uh, was, was kind of uh, pioneered by uh, Stephen Covey. And he talks 
in that uh, in the book about the seven habits of highly effective people, knowing to discern the difference between urgent and important. And you're right in the in the creative and kind of production world, it is often starting with the urgent. There's important things like I don't know reorganizing a filing cabinet or something like yeah, it's good mm -hmm. to know where all my gear is or where all the paper. But it's just not urgent and it can always be put off. Now the challenge is if you ever find there's those situations where there's something actually is important that maybe has been kind of put off for a little bit too long that suddenly becomes urgent, whether it's part of the a client request, yeah. uh, a recut or something like that come to mind? Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, all the time things will, I try to never let anything slip, but just mm -hmm. something, let's say that wasn't previously a client priority, all of a sudden becomes a client priority. And it's like, Fair okay, point. go, 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 go. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think in general, my worldview on communication is like, always put the ball back in the other person's court mm. um, because you don't necessarily, unless you really know the organization intimately, if it's a client, like you don't know how long it's going to take them to do things. Even mm. submitting a simple invoice might be like a freaking nine step process on the other yeah. side. So my philosophy is anything that requires someone else's review and management get that out as fast as possible because yeah. either they need that information to make decisions or they need to move that request through a pipeline and yeah. I don't want to be the bottleneck. So I always yeah, try sure. to get those things out first that require other people because I know internally I can reprioritize and reorganize when it's all on me. So that's how I look at how to deal with those requests and which ones are urgent pressing and I don't know how to, how to just get them off my brain because I, yeah. Oh, I mean, that, that, that's a big part of it too. Um, so it's almost like the, uh, you know, delegation an important part, but recognizing those dependencies, if you're dependent on somebody else to move the project forward, it's better to kind of put it, get it um, yeah. on, on their plate and they understand so that they can, um, and, and you're right. Sometimes in some organizations, there might be three, four, five, you know, levels of approval, that is just like, oh my goodness, I didn't kind of, uh, didn't see that coming. Um, so let's talk about that, you know, that creative process, if you will. What is it like uh, for you and maybe by extension the team? Have you, you know, standardized that at, at Corbin Visual or is it, you know, it's it's a little bit more ad hoc, but what, what's the creative mm -hmm. process look like for you? Well, I think, um, not to give you a complicated answer to a straightforward question, but it No, no, I think it could be. I think it could be as complicated <laughs> as you want to make it be. It, it just depends who the client is, right? Because if it's an agency that is having us handle production, for instance, just like do the work, then that's a very different request than give us an idea that we're going to love and get excited about. Right. And so, you know, I think when it comes to executing work on behalf of clients, my first initial reaction is, who is the crew member? Who's the DP or who's the editor? Who's the animator that's going to make this thing dance? And mm. I think a philosophy I have in terms of the type of work we do, whether it be a brief driven or of our own imagination or machination, whatever is <laughs> like, you know, nobody and especially clients don't know what to ask for, but they know what they like when they see it. Yes. And I feel the same way about working with a DP or an animator. It's like, I, I might not be able to tell you exactly what you need to do, but I know if I set you up for success, you're going to do something special. And so the, the reaction to how creativity blossoms is really a function of who you surround yourself with and what their responsibilities are. 
Um, and internally, if we're in charge of create creative or like the idea, honestly, I find it just changes week to week because I see something out on the internet or on TV or whatever that I get inspired by. I'm like, Oh, I want to, I'm waiting for the perfect client to adapt that idea to. Yeah. So then I, I kind of deconstruct it technically and then reconstruct it creatively so I can figure out how to adapt this animated, animated format or this piece of augmented reality. Like it always just comes with experiencing the real world and just being present. Cause not to say that we borrow ideas, but there are no new ideas, right? right. So I think it's just about how you adapt inspiration to through your own worldview. I think that's what creativity is about, right? It's like, how do you make something your own? Because yeah. um, everything is born of something else. You yeah, know? I mean, that's there's an old proverb that says there's nothing new under the sun, right? It's often yeah. like... Um, and then of course the, the, the famous Mark Twain say, you know, saying that history doesn't repeat it rhymes. So there's usually right. some, yeah, 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 some, some iteration of, uh, of that, that, you know, was, was inspired from somewhere else. Where do you keep these ideas in a, in a journal or maybe a digital file on an iPad or something like that, or just all, I, all up, all up in the noggin? I do my, you know, I hope I'm not alone with this where I got my Apple notes open <laughs> and then I just write the thing down. All of a sudden I have 300 notes. I have no yeah. idea where to find it. Um, yeah. I do believe though that you need to anything you want to do you have to write down. Mm -hmm. If you don't write down it's write it down it's not real. Mm -hmm. And so even if that idea kind of gets buried, I'll know what the keywords are, right? So at least yeah, I can yes. search voices.com, yeah. you know, and I'll it'll pull up the things relevant to that. Um Yeah. It's really it's really about how um how opportunities come to us and then just how quickly we can deploy all that inspiration. And so this is a really fancy way of saying, yeah, I'm kind of disorganized when it comes to logging ideas, yeah. but it's just, yeah, it's just time of the day and, and type of client, I guess. Well, hey, I think you're, you know, you said you hope you're not alone. I assure you, you're not, um, <laughs> that, you know, there's scrapbooks and notebooks and sticky notes or digital files that there isn't really a system, but you're right. It's like the act of just merely getting it out of your head um, onto paper or pixel, if you will, then I, I think that actually, I mean, I'm sure there's there's science to back this up that like the, the mere act of your fingers and hands moving actually reinforces that in your own memory. So you're like, oh, like it's, it's easier to recall afterwards. Now you, you, you chatted about, I love this around like the, in some situations, clients have a creative brief. Now those probably are coming from advertising agencies. What goes into a good creative brief that when you said, hey, we're, we're on the production side, we're just getting this, this creative brief and it's got all the you know, instructions, if you will, or desires. What, what's, what's the makeup of that creative brief? Well, um, they, they range in quality, of course. <laughs> um, but I think the best briefs actually have slides for all relevant creative departments from casting to soundtrack to storyboards, be they just stock images or hand-drawn. Um, the idea being that each creative department that requires uh, um, work has a vision using words and images. Um, oftentimes, visually, um, they'll just be like reference images or reference soundtracks yeah. or reference. And so at the very least I can feel 
what they're going for. Sometimes mm-hmm. words don't do it justice. And so I think the best creative briefs are ones that think through all of the departments that are required mm-hmm. to execute the job. Now, less experienced account executives or agencies, I don't want to say it's a bad thing if their brief isn't as thorough because listen, not every nobody's perfect and it takes mm-hmm. time to figure out what the repeatable processes for your organization look like. And if a brief is less than thorough, I actually see that as an opportunity to for me to ask questions and be like, oh, well, I actually get to leave my fingerprints right. in this area a little bit more yeah. than, than others. And, and actually, I mean, I think that's what the creative process is all about. And, and every ad agency, all my, I should, sorry, I should say my favorite agencies are the one who give you the sandbox to play in, but mm-hmm. let you build your own sandcastle. Yeah, um, because every everybody's in this creative business to just leave them a little bit of themselves with the project, and yeah, even the best creative briefs do not, you know, handcuff you. Yeah, um, they're not so they're not so prescriptive. I, I think I actually thought it was really beautiful how you how you described that. Is that now you'd mentioned slides? Um, do you actually receive these like PowerPoint or Google Slides, or is it a Word dot like? more word document probably a bit yeah. of both but what 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 do you prefer and kind of see most effective um prefer you know what honestly i prefer thorough slides and thorough powerpoints usually it's from mm. if it's from an agency they've already had to vet and approve the creative yeah internal client yeah. But, but they usually will come to me and just do like a quick gut check on mm-hmm. this. Is, we're pitching this. Is this crazy? <laughs> um, and I can just let them know if there are any uh, cost implications associated with what they want to do. And agencies that have good relationships with their client will leave a little bit of room to massage yeah. ideas because, you know, it, it's got to go in steps and stages. Um, I think on the other hand, when it's kind of like more B2B, when you're responsible for the idea to get everybody excited. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, then I have to do a little bit more work to paint a picture for the client. And on the back end, I, I probably take a, a little bit more pride in the visual than the whole work because like that's my baby, you know, I, yeah, I, I from right from the right right from, from inception, like totally. right through the whole, whole process. And, and I speak on behalf of, all like our staff and and the crews who touch it, I'm simply representing for me as a producer, right? How a project makes me feel that literally went from white page to colors and images and feelings. So mm-hmm. I've, I, I really value both opportunities and my relationships with like broadcast producers or, or agency producers look very different than head of marketing. Right, because right. they have just different disciplines, and it, yeah. it's cool because I get to flex different muscles in different mm-hmm. relationships. So, I, I, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to hear. Is there um, a request that was a little too outlandish, or maybe it's like, if you want me to explore it, I can. But you, you know, most things are the constraint is the budget or the time. Um, but you know, w- without naming names, I, I you know, if you're yeah. so willing. Is there uh, is there a request that kind of comes to mind? You're like, I can't believe they're asking for this. You know, jumping out of a, I don't know, skydiving with cameras. Yeah. You know, 360 going around. I have no idea. What, what, what any crazy stories you might be able to share with the listeners? You know, when they happen, I make a note. I'm like, oh, this is wild. I got to do something with this story. And then they just 
time passes and 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 it, the, the idea kind of dissipates. I will say, uh, I'll see if I can come up with a story quickly, but but the thing without fail that every single client says, no matter the size of their budget, be they a startup or a freaking global brand, you know, listen, not this is, doesn't need to be a Spielberg production, you know, we're just and 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 they they just everybody's always trying to angle the budget down, right? Mm. Like they always use words to imply that they don't have as much money as <laughs> you think they do when it's like, that's not even on my mind. It's like, let's just talk about what's happening. I know this isn't a Marvel movie, you know? Yeah. It's, it's always funny to hear them try to say, hey, we want something inexpensive that's still head turning. And, and I think the truth of the matter is like, money doesn't equal good idea, you know? It, those two things are not inherently married, but what money usually does is it enables coverage in different departments so that your cameraman is not also doing the edit and is not also doing the sound right. and the production management. And sometimes clients equate more money with resources that are not required. And so um, it's just funny to go through it every time and I put on my, okay, ha 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 reaction every time and it's like okay let's just talk turkey here and we don't need to talk in hollywood metaphors um, yeah but i think from a from a from a story standpoint shoot um it'll come to me it's okay yeah it's, it's no okay. shortage of unreasonable requests and no yeah. shortage of <laughs> short-term memories when at the onset of a project client you tell a client what's possible and not and midway through the client, all of a sudden they forget that it was extra or it wasn't possible. Yeah, I think it's it's just. I think that's really admirable. That I think it's admirable that you're actually setting those expectations um, at at the outset, and then maybe on the on the on the other end of the spectrum, are there clients where you're like they 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 present their ideas or you're collaborating with them and. You're like, wow, this could be so much better. And you got to kind of amp it up a little bit and be like, you know, kind of bringing a lot of these what ifs um, and these type of ideas to to the presentation. How are, how, are, how are those received? Yeah, honestly, clients always want your ideas. Like, like, oh, good. It's a baseline. It's like how and that's, in fact, how we will win projects sometime where it's like, mm -hmm. here's what my challenges or my communi communication objectives are. I understand more or less what's happening, but how are you going to make it special? And I think as a producer, that's your job. Your job is to make it special. Your job is to make it memorable. And you are better off taking a big swing than you are, um, you know, just trying to hit a single. Um, yeah. I, it's case by case basis, but I, I would, I would give you the example of like an actor walking into the audition room or a voice actor, it, it, coming into an audition, like make a decision because if you're not memorable, you're not getting hired. Mm -hmm. People don't always hire just based on the performance. I will hire based on someone's ability to take feedback well, or, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to be a good listener. And I fold all of that energy into my pitches for clients when like, listen, I'm not always reinventing the wheel but I'm doing my darndest to communicate why this idea gets me excited mm -hmm. and why you should be excited about it too. So it's not about that. Let's add fire to that dragon, you know, <laughs> yeah. as much as it is, 
here's why this idea is great. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a salesman and it's my job to channel that idea and present it in a way that's actionable and and gets people excited. Well, I mean, that kind of leads to this notion around content that, that feels real. And we mentioned that in the intro as well, too. Um, You know, just kind of building off of your, not all dragons need fire breathing out of the mouth. Sometimes it just, it's kind of like over and you know what I mean? Over and above. So where is it where it feels real? And then sometimes it's like, uh, not distasteful, but it just, it, it feels almost like contrived. Like it's, it's kind of too much. Yeah. Um, a lot. So in a, it'll either come from the script or the interviews, mm. right? Like a lot of this, the idea of being real is like, what is the script? So what's the angle we're taking at this story? Mm. And if you're in like a documentary style, style setup, it's like, how are you coaching and leading interview subjects to deliver authentic performances. And if we start with the interviews, it's like leading good interviews, which is the backbone of a like a majority of the content out there these days. Mm-hmm. It's all about developing a rapport with the talent. Right. Um, be it before the camera rolls or immediately when the camera rolls, like tell me about your kid. Tell me about the Raptors. Tell me about <laughs> find a touch point with them because once they realize that you're a teammate, yeah. then an interview turns into a beautiful tango and you're in lockstep. But sometimes not everybody feels comfortable in front of the camera and you, you can be an adversary sometimes because mm-hmm. you are, might create a moment of embarrassment for them, or you might catch them in a question that they're not right. ready to answer. Mm-hmm. And listen, I'm, I'm super comfortable doing this kind of stuff and I'm, I, I can react if I don't like a question from you, for instance, mm-hmm. but when people aren't camera ready mm-hmm. and they just don't have either that media training or that level of comfort, they have their backup and it's my mm-hmm. job to disarm them. And that mm-hmm. it's those moments when they're most disarmed and being most honest that create beautiful cinematic or narrative moments. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, it's, it's also, there's the hindrance, if you will, of the technology. Like, even if you can get somebody there, it's like, yeah, but there's still this camera, like right over my shoulder or a microphone in the way. And, um, you know, the more that that almost just fades to the background where you're just kind of looking eye to eye and having a conversation, like, <laughs> don't mind all this crew and lighting yeah. and everything else that's happening. Let's just have a chat. Um, are there, you know, you mentioned a few kind of questions. Are there for, you know, new producers that are in that capacity of being the interviewer, um, you know, are there some fallback questions you're like, oh, I always, I always open with this. You maybe, maybe it is kids and family or just drive yeah. in, drive in today and you, you find your way, you know, find, find the location. Well, any, anything, um, like that, that you find is kind of a good, uh, a good opener. Um, I think from, from an opener standpoint, you you don't talk about anything to do with the interview mm. and you also share information about yourself, right? So if there's an opening question, um, you, you just start to drop some Easter eggs about what you're interested in. And mm-hmm. then you wait to see what the person on camera picks up on. Cause if yep. you talk Raptors, there are a lot of Toronto Raptor fans. Oh, I'm from Toronto. So I should just yep. preface that. Um, <laughs> um it's a basketball team for those who might yeah, not know. <laughs> you talk about the things that are interesting to you and then you wait to see what they engage on. And then you double down mm-hmm. on that because you can tell you've got their attention. Right. And 
you've tapped into something that they're passionate or very interested in, and then they'll start to give, they'll, they'll open up to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're mid interview, what's really important, what I find really effective, especially for stiff interviews, like people who aren't comfortable is (laughs) you wait until you see their eyes light up about something. And then you go down that rabbit hole Mm -hmm. and the questions you're asking might not be relevant to the subject matter, but that's an opportunity for them to warm up to you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the old family circus cartoons where it's kind of like a really long way to get back to the beginning. Yeah. But then if they're, if they become comfortable, you can then double back to questions that you don't think they gave you all that well, but now they're in a flow state right and now we're jamming. And yeah. so as a producer or a director, like whatever, capacity you're in it's your responsibility and opportunity to find those moments where there's a sparkle in their eye and then hit them you know and metaphorically speaking (laughs) you need to be really perceptive and attentive Um, and that's a really good way to disarm people and if that means you got to spend on five minutes on content which is not relevant to the subject matter so be it because a good interview starts with rapport and good rapport between you and the subject. I, I love this. For those, the, the uninitiated out there, how would you def, uh, delineate the roles of director and producer? Yeah, well, I, firstly, I think that on many small projects, the producer and the director are going to be the same person simply right. because money, <laughs> um, yeah. if you're starting out. but. The producer's responsibility is to guide the process from inception of the idea all the way to the finished product being delivered. Here is your video compressed for YouTube or Mm -hmm. LinkedIn or whatever. So the producer is the client's point of contact across the entire project. Whereas the director's responsibility is to sit down with the talent on set. If it's an interview in an interview format with actors scripted, And just direct the talent, extract the content from the talent so that you can arm the editor with the best content to make the edit. Now, again, depending on the budget, the producer might also be the director, might also be the editor. And that's okay because that's actually your opportunity to thread a needle throughout the entire project. Mm -hmm. If you if you can find it, if you're a producer and you're doing interview or you're doing sports or whatever, you can find a director who has a really refined skill set for that specific type of content. They're worth their weight in gold. Like mm-hmm. it's worth paying them because they're going to be able to ask questions or direct scenes in a way that you just don't understand because you don't understand scale up technology companies, right? It's like, you're going to, there's a special skill set required to speak to a technology company who's scaling versus a technology company who's just starting up and working out of a, uh, a basement, yeah. right? And so an air, um, finding a director with an area of expertise that can make your content more authentic sometimes is worth paying for. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I love this because, you know, I think a, a director does have to have a baseline level of knowledge, probably I would imagine about a variety of subjects, but it minimally to like, you know, brush up, bone up, if you will, on the client, their, uh, their industry, their company ahead of time. And almost like imagining the like two to three questions to be asked in that interview ahead of time to kind of know where the direction's going. I would imagine it makes the 
not only the interview flow a lot better, but even the editing, the, the, the job of editing a lot smoother as well too. If you know kind of directionally where the, where the conversation is going to go. Totally. I mean, a good director will do their research, right? A right. good director is not coming to set and saying, so what are we doing today? Yeah. You know, they, <laughs> they understand the assignment. And so they yeah. need to prepare themselves for the, 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 the scenes they're in um, or scenes they're directing. Uh, how would you, um, let's talk about the relationship between the, the, the producer uh, and the talent as well, too. And we kind of talked about the director and talent, but the producer and talent, how would you characterize that relationship? Um, you know, I, either kind of day of, you know, shooting or recording if it's voice talent in a booth. Um, and how would you like to see, you know, what, what are you looking to receive from the, well let's, well, let's just start with that. How would you characterize the relationship between kind of the producer and the talent? Talent, be they voice or performers or models or whatever they are, um, this is going to be a bold statement, but I'm just going to say it because mm. there's, I don't think it's fully true, but I think it's at least always partially true. Performers are insecure. Mm. They're creative people. They're the quality of their performance is subjective and it can be really difficult to be confident about what they're doing, about their takes. Performers will always look to a director after a take and look for approval. Did you right. like it? What yeah. do you want me to change? The audition room, that's a freaking stressful place for an actor or actress mm -hmm. to be. And so I think you need your job as a producer is to make talent feel supported mm. and to let them know that they are here because we. I want you. Right. I want what you're good at and I want what you saw in the audition room. And when performers feel like they're there, Actors feel like they're there because they're special. Mm -hmm. You get that on screen or you get that on the microphone. But if it's kind of like, I've had actors who come on set and I try to treat them well and ask them about their day and all that. And they're like, oh my God, we don't get treated like this mm -hmm. normally. And and I, I believe when talent feels supported and like we, I want them to be there, it's palpable yeah. in their performance. And so make make the problem find a way to solve the problem outside of the room never yes. let a bomb go off on set mm -hmm. always find a way to diffuse and you are fully allowed to say hey there's nothing i can do about this right now but i'm going to take mm -hmm. this up with the appropriate people so mm -hmm. figure out a way to resolve a situ the situation in a way that doesn't cause a scene and mm -hmm. that's the best thing you can do because if your crew or anybody else looks like it's out of control all is going to break loose. Yeah. So sometimes you maintain control over a situation by punting the problem, but yeah. addressing it with the individuals in a way that makes sure that they feel heard and supported. I I, th I think that was so important that it's out of the room as well too, which, uh, you know, a, a line that I was kind of taught growing up was, Hey, can I just have a word with you? Let's just step outside. Yeah. And just by saying, can I have a word? You're not you know, implying anything or let's just get a breather. Do you want to come get a breather with me? Like just, it's, it's almost like you, you use the word ally. It's kind of just, you're, you're walking alongside them in obviously a, a stressful situation. So I, th I thought that was super helpful. Let's, let's, uh, we've got some great advice there, but you know, maybe close off with some, sure, some advice, <laughs> uh, as well too. Um, there are probably other producers out there looking to create a name for themselves. Speaking, are there other skills that maybe, you know, there, I think could be hard skills or some other soft skills like we've been talking about. Um, but how can new producers improve 
a skill, maybe one that you feel like, man, I wish I learned this earlier on. Um, you know, again, a, a, the range, I'll, I'll leave it to you to, uh, to uh, pretty open-ended there. So if we're talking about producers, your job fundamentally is to understand every department as deeply as possible. Mm -hmm. Because you never know on any given project what which department is this fire going to be in? Is this is this a financial issue? Is this a creative issue? Is this a the editor saying something's not possible, but I know it's possible because I used to be an editor, right? Like <laughs> your job is to understand the department so that you are the best the, the outcome that you're looking for does not rely exclusively on someone else's point of view, right? Mm -hmm. Your job is to understand all the departments so you can intake all the information and then make a decision. So mm -hmm. producers, I would encourage you to edit. I would encourage you to ask the DP questions. Do not try to take something away from every project that levels up your expertise in each technical department, camera, color, um, um, sound, um, all of it so that you're just leveled up in, mm -hmm. in, in that respect. And also know how much things cost because as a producer, you're going to get random requests thrown at you. Oh, I need to produce 10 seconds of 30 seconds of animation. Know how much that costs mm -hmm. because the difference between you getting the job and not literally might be your ability to get back to them in 24 hours. Yeah. So again, that deep knowledge and understanding of the different departments and the associated costs will help you speak more knowledgeably about what the process looks like. Um, mm -hmm. So huge nugget there. Learn every time you're on the job. And I'm like, I'm a decade, over a decade in, I'm mm -hmm. like still a student because the times are always changing. Um, oh so yeah, well, we're, we're, we're definitely all students. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I enjoy this show um, so much is being able to speak with uh, leaders and experts in other fields other than voiceover, but also unpacking what the various roles are and someone new into the industry as well too, or someone who's seasoned who might be looking for um, a change of career, uh, maybe looking for another opportunity, still in the creative space. Um, I think this has been uh, tremendously helpful today. Uh, John, can you just maybe let us know um, where people can maybe follow your work? What's the, what's the best place to, uh, to see what you've been up to lately? Sure. I mean, we're, our handles are Corbin Visual across the board. Um, mm -hmm. Instagram, LinkedIn, your website. Um, yep. It's always Corbin Visual if we're on the platform. So, yeah, we we create pretty platform specific content. So, um, you'll get different things on TikTok than you will Instagram and and, mm -hmm. and our website. So we 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 try to be intentional in all the platforms. So hopefully, you get a different taste of it um, depending on where you interact with us. Well, I think that's a great um, a great word to leave on and, and encourage people to go check out each of those platforms, which we'll link to, of course, in the show notes. Well, thank, fantastic. Thanks for joining me today, John. Um, until next time, this has been David Cicerelli, the CEO and founder of Voices, and you've been listening to Voice Branding. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>